Hey there. Welcome to the weekly experience. This is episode six. We're talking about self-awareness, personality, and genuine connection, and how those are more important than ever because of, well, really one thing that I've been hearing a lot of, and you've probably been seeing here and there, and and uh, may not even have, have realized it at first, but uh, there's there's some big discussions about uh, artificial intelligence. And in the business and communication world, um, even if you don't work in in comms or marketing or something like that, this, this will touch you if you're somebody that consumes anything on social media. Um, there's a lot of talk about these bots um, being able to write articles, posts, just standard communications that have up to this point been written by humans. And, um, you know, this is one of those things where the discussions around AI have been going for a while. There's been tools for a while, bots that can actually help with this kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, it's, it's something new, it's something different. And um, in, the, in the marketing world, this will make a lot of, well, I'm not going to say it's going to make a copywriter's job redundant. It's going to change the job. Um, I feel like no matter, no matter how good the artificial intelligence is, you're still going to need a human element to proof that edit and, and provide um, emotional context. Because at, at the end of the day, no matter how good the algorithms are at um, you know, figuring out what we want and even who we are as individuals, I, I think there's still going to be an element of humanity that, that we're all going to want in the types of communication that, that we have. So, um, but this, if, and this again, I, I want to talk about this because I have, um, I have some opinions on it, but I don't want to spend a ton of time because I know most of you aren't necessarily listening to this for, um, marketing and copyright speak, but I think, you know, for those of you that, that work in the creative side of things, um, th this reminds me of when Canva started to become available 10 years ago. Um, and, and that's a that's a graphic design suite. And if any of you listening have side hustles, there's a good chance that you have designed at least one item on Canva. Even if you don't have a, a business, there's a, there's a good chance if you needed to design a document that you've probably used this platform. And at first, well, and still probably still, there's probably a lot of graphic designers that are up in arms about this because it changes their job. It makes a lot of the stuff that people rely on uh, which in that case was design and layout. It, it, it's not, Canva doesn't replace someone that is a, a classically trained designer, but it does do a large percentage of what a graphic designer would do, at least to the naked eye or to someone that doesn't work in creative communications, marketing, or something like that. And I think that honestly, you know, for, for copywriters, um, I, I understand, like, and I've, I've worked as a copywriter. I've written tons of copy for various types of, of content. Um, this hurts because, yeah, your, your job, as you know it, is being replaced. You're going to be more of an editor now. You're going to be the one that has to, it's now going to be about the 
fine-tuning and putting your uh, personal spin, your personal flavor, personal touch on, on whatever the writing is. But yeah, this, this whole mystique around copywriting and you're going to go away and you're going to be given a prompt and you're going to come up with all these, these little niche nuances straight away, you're, that like that's over. <laughs> so, or that will be over um, when, and I think this is a win uh, that this stuff eventually takes off. I think there's probably a lot of bugs that need to be that need to be uh, worked out of these tools, but I, I think it's coming. I, I, but I've been seeing Facebook and Instagram ads for uh, these these writing bots, essentially these AI bots, artificial intelligence bots, for a while, and the copywriters get get super get super angry about them. I understand why, but you know you're you're going to have to to adjust. Now, the other thing of this, because I, I do know many of you post things on the internet. You're on Instagram, you're on TikTok, you're part of a, a fitness community, a, a healing community, um, a self-confidence community. I think both from a content perspective and, you know, in, in life in general, it's very important that you know who you are, self-awareness, that which leads to you knowing your personality, knowing your tendencies, you know, and, and everything that makes you, you, um, really embrace those quirks, by the way, things that other people think are quirks. Those are things that like make you, you, um, and then genuine connection, meaning not just digitally, but I, I, I think it's, you can, you can connect, uh, to a certain level, I think digitally, but also, you know, having these face-to-face in-person communication skills, uh, and connection skills are more important now than ever. Again, not just because you're putting information out on the internet, but because we have become very reliant on technology. And you're going to hear in, in one of the episodes that I have for you later that, that actually has come out for a while of 365, you know, I talk about just the importance of in-person connection as a skill set. Uh, I, I think we've... we've uh, the digital tools are a wonderful thing, but I think everything, again, is on a continuum. If you have complete online internet connection on one end of the spectrum and, you know, uh, life before digital technology, um, you know, having to, to connect with people in person like what they would do hundreds of years ago, <laughs> um, I, I think the balance is somewhere in the middle because there are people that each and every one of us are connected with that without these wonderful tools and technologies, we would never have had the opportunity to, uh, to meet, let alone get to know. Um, but I, I do think again, for anyone that's putting a message out that it's really, really important to, again, know who you are, really t- lean into your personality and that will help you make genuine connections. But then on the, on the other side of that, you as an individual, you as a person, which I'm also, by the way, as we're talking about things, uh, people posting things online or, or running a, a, a side hustle or doing their thing, um, I think anytime that who you are as a person comes through, through what you're doing, you know, professionally or as a hobby or as a project, uh, I, I think that's, uh, it's, it's one of the most important things. Authenticity is, is a very important thing. Uh, and we talk about that a lot here where, you know, you're the, you don't necessarily share everything that you do publicly. As a matter of fact, I would suggest not doing that. But the stuff that you do share is honest and authentically you. 
So um, that's really what I wanted to get into this week with, with all this stuff going on with, with AI. So again, really, as, as times continue to change and technologies continue to change, really lean into who you are as a person, really embrace who you are as an individual, lean into that personality, and really focus on genuine connections. And that's not, uh, that doesn't mean that you completely go away from connecting with people through the internet and through messaging tools and things like that, but it does mean that you really start to, to go back into that in-person, uh, face-to-face connection as well. So I do want to hear your thoughts on that as you're listening through this week's podcast, so definitely let me know. Head to darylperry.com or yourlevelfitness.com. Scroll all the way down to the bottom. You've got my emails, my social media. Uh, you've got uh, my my text number. You can get in, get in touch with me any way that's, that's best for you. But yeah, let me know because I always want to know your thoughts on on all this stuff. Now, um, for the segments for this week that I have, um, I, I thought it would be my buddy Rob and I have had some really good conversations, uh, but surprisingly, and I believe that this is, I, I think uh, we, we've actually only had, well, you know what, <laughs> either one or two podcasts. I think he was on the Men's Mental Health Series as well. Uh, I know he and I, again, have had a lot of chats, but I have the first conversation that Rob and I did on a podcast which was for the What's On Your Mind Bro um, sub-series that I did on this podcast back in, um, back in February of 2022 is when he and I had this conversation. And this is kind of the little seedling that ended up leading to the Men's Mental Health series. So this it's a good conversation. Rob's a very thoughtful guy, a very um, open and honest guy, especially when it comes to um, emotions and mental health. So that's that's going to be a good conversation. I'm looking forward. If you didn't catch it the first time, I'm looking forward to you catching it now. And if you're not connected with Rob, I do have his Instagram linked up in the show notes. Um, and then for the new episodes that are coming out this week, for the Men's Mental Health Series, I've got a conversation with Neil. And the, the theme of his story is just keep getting up. Uh, this was, he, he takes us, there's a little bit of a nostalgia uh, pool in all of this. And we talk a little bit about WWE wrestling as well uh, and action figures because you can't have a conversation without, with Neil without discussing action figures. But, um, but that's for the Men's Mental Health Series. Um, again, you're getting this episode a couple of days early uh, if you have a chance to go through it before the, uh, the Men's Mental Health Series releases on Tuesday. And if you like what you hear, which I always hope that you do, uh, and you're not subscribed to the Men's Mental Health Series, you can go into the show notes uh, and you can actually uh, click on the link, which is going to take you to the podcast page. For that particular podcast, you can subscribe on whichever directory you listen to pods. And then uh, I also have Neil's Instagram linked up so you can connect with him as well. Uh, the next conversation I have is this week's Your Level Fitness podcast with Megan. Uh, Megan and I had a conversation for the um, the now floating paused self confidence podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, and then we did one for the YLF podcast. And this is getting into uh, more of her her personal experience when it comes to fitness and weight loss uh, and. Um, we, we get into all the things that, that she's into and what she's working on. And if you're not connected with Megan, I do have her Instagram linked up in the show notes as well. Uh, and of course, if you're not subscribed to the Your Level Fitness podcast at this point, uh, again, I've got the link for the podcast page in the show notes. Go ahead and, and click on that. 
and that will take you to uh, there'll, there'll be links for all the social social all the podcast platforms so you can go ahead and subscribe there and then finally for the YLF 365 podcast uh, I put the episode that came out on Sunday so if you're listening to this podcast on the day it comes out this is this episode just came out on while of 65 365 today and this again is the importance of in-person connection now while f 365 <laughs> the the challenge is going on i'm evaluating some stuff on how to do this this is an ongoing thing so um if you weren't part of this almost two months ago when it started then that's okay uh, you can jump in now i'm actually retooling some of the resources so that when you guys jump in, whenever it is that you start or pick the challenge back up or restart, if you want to do that, uh, you're, you're going to be able to start from scratch and really just kind of work through things. Um, so I'm working on that. Well, that's not, it's not necessarily from scratch. When you're starting for the first time, uh, I want you to go through all the way through. I haven't really decided for the restarting. I'm not a huge fan of restarting because uh, in life, Things just tend to continue to move forward. We don't really get to hit the reset button all that much. Um, but if you are interested in Wild of 365, if you're not subscribed to the podcast, um, I do have the link for the podcast in the show notes. But I also, if you're not taking part in the challenge, I have the link for the challenge itself. So um, go ahead and check that out. And again, this is one year of working on these daily practices that are going to help you be comfortable in your own skin, help you discover and rediscover uh, creative passions and pursuits that you had, and then also redefine the relationship that you have with eating and exercise. So everything when it comes to eating and exercise is very stripped down uh, with nutrition. It's focusing on addition over subtraction because restriction is a big thing when it comes to health and fitness because everybody's trying to lose weight and they end up looking at that as the focus and in actuality, it's the byproduct. So uh, addition over subtraction is one of the foundational uh, skills that if you put this into practice now, as you continue to move uh, through the process of trying to get in better shape, your body weight will start to take care of itself. Um, now, and then from the exercise standpoint, it's just, it's really working on consistency and building a balanced foundation around exercise uh, that is based on your abilities, meeting you where you are, and uh, and getting it to where you can, again, really develop consistency. Uh, and then, let's see, oh, and the, so yes, so the better relationship with yourself the uh, creative rediscover the, the discovery of creative outlets or rediscovering of creative outlets, and then the improved relationship with both eating and exercise. So that is everything that I have for you guys for for this week's episode. Uh, again, any thoughts that you have, go ahead and head over to yourlevelfitness.com. And you can scroll all the way down to the bottom. You've got my social media profiles linked up there. You have my email address. You have, or you have a button that says you can email me. You have a button that says you can text me. So get in touch with me. Let me know your thoughts on everything. Have a wonderful week. And let's get into this week's podcast. Hello, hello. You are about to listen to the first episode of the What's On Your Mind Bro podcast, where Rob joins me. And we do talk about how growing up... Um, mental health really wasn't addressed. Uh, that's, that's a common theme within, within our age range. Uh, but an interesting thing that he talks about here is that even being faced with some really 
really challenging situations uh, in his in his own life, both personally and professionally, he still was in denial. And then eventually through doing some work with a therapist, which also took some time to really, uh, really uh, untangle some things, he started to really uh, set some things in order and, and is in a a, uh, a much, much better place now. So um, you're going to get a lot of, of insight and value out of this particular episode. I cannot wait for you to listen to it. And as always, because I do have Rob's uh, IG profile linked up in the show notes, as you're listening, any thoughts that you have, any comments, any questions, shoot us a DM. Let us know, uh, let us know your thoughts on the episode. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Rob. Welcome to the What's Going On Man podcast. I have Rob on the line with me. Rob, how's it going? Good, man. What's going on with you? Oh, just uh, kind of enjoying my frozen Friday. I got through the uh, the work week, looking looking forward to just kind of enjoying the weekend and chilling out. So, uh, so yeah. What about you? Everything going all right? Well, you know, other other than the Chiefs' loss, I'm in week um, two of an 11 week stretch before we get to spring break for a teacher. So yeah, you can yeah. do the victory dance, but for I me, can. I, can. I am literally living Groundhog's Day every day until we get to spring break. It's cold, it's miserable. Uh, the bells just keep ringing in my school and um, I'm, I'm, pushing, I'm pushing through. So I'm doing the best yeah. I can through this time of year and uh, getting ready for Sundays without football. Spring, uh, spring will be here hopefully. Well, just get here soon, spring. That's, that's yes. really- really like all we have to say about it. Uh, so what we're, what we're going to talk about a lot here is going to be uh, men, men, mental health and kind of a man's perspective in general. We will get into kind of your, your weight loss story as well, because you and I have not had a real dedicated focused podcast episode on that yet, but we will, but I do want to touch on that as well. Uh, but as far as, as mental health, kind of going back to how it was presented to you in childhood, what uh, what was kind of the undertone, kind of the vibe around it when you were a kid? So I I don't think we had mental health when we were kids. Like the idea of wellness, self care, that these terms meant nothing to us. We had man up and uh, shut up, and those were kind of the two options that we had. And like yeah, I had very loving parents, but they never once said like, "How are you working through your emotions?" or "How are right. you, uh, you know, self soothing?" or "How are you finding comfort through your aggression?" It was you know, in true Catholic fashion, either do right or you're going to hell. Uh, and you just need to keep pushing through and do well because you have to live up to this expectation. We, we didn't have mental health. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it, very much. And, and, you know, my upbringing was similar with my, my, my mom was a little more nurturing, but my dad, it was like, I, I knew he cared. I knew he loved me. He didn't express stuff that way though. Like, you know, cause I mean, he was, he was always doing stuff. He was always working or he was always taking care of things or he was cooking. He was actually the one that cooked mostly in our house growing up. But yeah, you, you never really talked about it and you just were kind of led to, uh, you know, you, you just deal with what you have to deal with and, and that's it. Now you've changed on that. Let, let's kind of go through this a little bit. Um, you know, where did it really kind of change for you to where mental health was kind of something that was a real thing and then it was something that you talked about? So for me, the big thing that changed in my life was with the birth of my second daughter, Stella, um, my wife suffered from postpartum. And probably the biggest mistake I ever made as a father, as a husband, was I did not know how to respond to my wife suffering with postpartum. 
I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't believe it was actually a thing. I really just thought that my wife did not know how to handle having a kid, even though she had our first kid and was an amazing mother. So it was one of those things that I had been in denial that mental health or mental illness was even a thing when it even struck into my family. It took from me being a dean of students in North Philly and having multiple incidences where guns were involved and where a gun even discharged uh, that I realized I was starting to deal with my hands nonstop shaking. I couldn't sleep at night or when I finally could fall asleep, I couldn't wake up in the next morning. I started to use food and alcohol uh, at a much more unhealthy rate than I already was. I ballooned up to about 365 pounds. I was drinking four, five, six nights a week. And it really took my wife to tell me, you need to realize you're killing yourself, whether you admit it or not, and to start to see a therapist for me to really come to terms with what that happened. The idea that I had PTSD was something that from having therapists, I thought that was the only way we knew PTSD is we thought that happened in Vietnam. Exactly. And I want to, I want to back up just a minute though. So like, so, okay. So your, your wife is having your, your second child. She's going through PTSD. You're, you're, or she's, she's going through postpartum. You're, you're experiencing this, but you said you still didn't necessarily believe it. What, what was it? Was this going around the same? Was this happening at the same time as all the stuff at the school, all those incidents, or was this before you didn't believe it? And then a little bit later, all the stuff was happening at the schools and it kind of clicked for you. How did, how did that come about? It was about a year uh, into my second daughter's birth. So for a year, I did the exact opposite of, oh, I'm going to throw myself into work. I'm going to do overtime. I'm going to have her mother and the women in our life help her because she just needs help or that she's just tired. Right. And it, it's unfortunate. I was not there and I was not the best husband I could be in that situation. I fully own that. It really took until a year later when I was dealing with my own issues and realized how overwhelmed I was that I realized that mental health was a thing, um, that getting support is actually a sign of strength and not weakness. Um, and I didn't know how to communicate my emotions, my anxiety, my frustration. Uh, I solved everything with either food, alcohol, uh, outbursts, or just poor behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and, and so the, the, a couple points here on this. I, I think one, you can have situations going on in your own life and be in complete denial or at least deny like what it is. Like that's just that's just a reality. So then you had these situations come up and it was starting to kind of be a, a seed planted in your mind. Your wife had to say to you like, look, you know, you're, you are being really destructive. Like you're basically gonna kill yourself. And then it, it finally started to, to come into focus for you. Now therapy, what was that process getting into therapy? What was that? like did you did you really kind of connect with the first therapist that you were matched with or that you went to see or did you have to do a little bit more evaluating and and trying a couple of therapists out so this is where i i kind of joke i'm a little bit of a moron but kind of fun so i go to my primary care physician and i pretty much tell him like look my hands got stopped shaking i can't sleep and I went with the approach that everyone wants. I'm like, just give me whatever pill I need in order to fix this. And he's like, you're, you're past pill stage. You need to talk to someone and figure it out. And I'm like, oh, let me, uh, 
you know, talk to uh, whoever's in my, like whoever insurance covers. And he's like, well, right near you, there's a guy like three blocks away, Bruce Banford. You should go to him in true fashion. I'm like, yeah, sure. Booked it. I, I go, I tell my wife, look, I'm going to see a therapist. She goes, well, who did you book? And I was like, Bruce Banford. And she goes, that's my therapist. So I had booked my wife's therapist for myself uh, without even telling her, but it ended up working up as a great thing for us. I don't know how good Dr. Banford likes it, but every Monday at uh, seven o'clock, he gets one of us. So he gets my coin every two weeks. He gets her coin every two weeks. Uh, but when I started, I was going weekly yeah. and it took just him listening and me trying to just rage out and explain why I don't need therapy and why I just need to be done with him. Uh, it took about a good year for me to even see any progress. So I think a couple of things that, that are really interesting on that is one, it isn't like, cause see, I, I feel like with some of the mental health movement stuff going on now, when we say try therapy, you know, it is a very effective tool, but it, it does take time. I mean, there, there is so much that needs to be worked through. I know when I started, cause I was, and I started during the pandemic, so it was all virtual and it was, I, it was okay. It was nice kind of talking to somebody. The first, so I started with one of the online services. First person they matched me with was not somebody that I would get along with. Um, the second one, we started like, we just kind of started talking she, and she's around our age, maybe a couple of years younger, but kind of got not just, um, not just the stuff that was going on in my personal life at the time, but also like professionally and with all this stuff with social media on top of it, which my, my work is actually involved with content creators. So it's like another layer of social media, but like, and gradually I kind of started to build rapport with her. Now, what was interesting is she left the online platform and then I found out that her office was only about 15 minutes from where I'm at. So we started going from, went from once a week virtually, which was 30 minutes, which I really, a lot of times I felt like as soon as I would get into a decent conversation, the session was over. So then when I started seeing her in person, that's when it was, it was like, at this point, I kind of started to trust her a little bit. And then we're kind of untangling, not only just what was going on in present time with me, but hey, let's go back into like a relationship. Hey, let's go back into childhood. And you start kind of seeing things kind of unfold. Um, is, is that kind of what's been going on for, for you as well over the course of time? I think the, the first year of therapy was me denying the fact that I need therapy. And I, I give credit to my therapist for not uh, kicking me out or yeah. doing anything, but there'd be weeks where he's like, oh, I guess we're going to talk about Phillies baseball for 30 minutes because he would just say, hey, whenever you're ready to talk about what you need to talk about, uh, you let me know. And I'm like, I really don't know. Like if I, the problem for me is if I had a good Monday, because Monday was my therapy day. If I had a good Monday, I figured I didn't need anything on therapy. I would not remember the issues I had from that next Tuesday all the way up until Sunday night. And I would consider that, oh, I worked that out on myself. So one thing I really got good at is I keep on my iPhone just a notepad of things to talk to Dr. Banford with. Um, sometimes that list is really long. Sometimes that list is really short. Sometimes I write whole paragraphs in there. Uh, but then what I would start to do and a good piece of advice I give everyone is start to prioritize what you really need to work through the best and figure out what you need to really hash out in that first meeting. So I almost moved it then to Google Keep because you can make check boxes and slide them up and down on the talking points. Mm -hmm. So it almost became like a bad pardon the interruption. Like I would have about 30 things that I wanted 
but it worked for me because yeah. I could, there was something physical for me of, I could slide up things that were more priority. I could slide down things that when I really reflected before I went into therapy and said, you know what, I worked that out or that's not something I need right now. And there was something to say of, I could talk to him and check a box that we covered this or that we went over it, or he would give me takeaways for each situation of here's what you need to work on in the next two weeks. And I think that was something that really worked for me. Um, not to say that I don't have a type A personality, but having a checklist, uh, being given takeaways, and then bringing the takeaways back the next uh, session to really go over, here's what I completed, here's where I struggled, here's where I denied needing help with. And that took five years to come into a system where I felt comfortable talking, where I felt comfortable not only that, but then communicating to family members and my wife that I needed help or this is what I'm working on, or more importantly, uh, this is where I'm struggling with. And this is why you're not getting the best version of me is because I'm still learning how to build that best version. Yeah. So did I answer that? You, no, you did. You, and you actually, I mean, because look, I think the big thing is, is again, therapy is presented as a solution, which it is, but it's a tool and it takes time to really unpack. And the other thing, and that I think people don't necessarily know, you know, one of the big things now in mental health is they talk about, or well, uh, the online version of mental health, people will talk about doing the work. And just because you go to therapy, it's, it's not, it, it, you still have that work that you do on your own. Um, you know, my therapist calls it homework and I usually leave each session with homework. But a question I had, so you have this on, um, th this is a, a checklist that is a Google, it's, it's, a, it's a Google document. Is this shared with your doctor? I mean, are your therapist yeah. does he have access? Okay. okay. No, I go in. He he gets it ice cold. I go in with whatever my takes are, and he has to like kind of manage and catch whatever I throw at him. Um, and the the reason I think it helps me is yeah. I usually sometime Monday afternoon when I'm decompressing from school and before I pick up my kids, I check that list. Yeah. I see is this still a problem? Is this something that's gotten worse? Has this something that's gotten better? what really moves to the top for me. And it's really helped me prioritize what do I need to get my time in? But also if you just go into a therapist without a plan, a lot of times they'll just let you sit there and that's not a knock to them. They need to give you the space and grace to work on everything. But it's one of those that if you really put that time into that 30 or 45 minutes, you can get a lot out, but you won't get out anything that you don't put in. Yeah, I, so I, I think that's that's definitely it. It is about the effort that you put into it uh, because they will they will let you either sit there or kind of let you spin your wheels. Um, I do, and the reason I ask if you share the document, I will text my therapist like if if something like if there's a topic that I really want to talk about, I'll be like, hey, this is what's been going on. I want to make sure we talk about this. Um, you know, so I'll give her a heads up. But yeah, I mean, I can, it, it's interesting because there's just two, there's very different ways of structuring this stuff and keeping it organized. But I, I, you definitely answered the question because like one of the things, it's just, there's so much additional work. And I think that's, and the other point that you made is that you said over the course of five years. So if we're looking at this, you've got this relationship that's been built over a five-year period. You had all of, you had these traumatic situations going on in your life that you were denying, not because you're not an intelligent guy, you, you, dean of students at in North Philly school, we're like, okay. But it's just how all this was presented to us as kids. 
And this is literally baked into our identity on this stuff wasn't something you talked about. It wasn't real. And it literally takes going through stuff and actually having it uncovered. And I'll tell you, like for me, it's crazy because like when something is said by my, by my therapist or something comes up in life and it touches up, touches on one of those push down wounds, man, like it's a really uncomfortable feeling. And you'll still kind of go back to that childhood way of suppressing this stuff almost as an instinct without even thinking about it, I think anyway. And so. I think to, to cover it of, I, I joke, I take something from uh, Dave Ramsey because I believe him and I do a lot of his work too with financial coaching. But I say he used to do stupid on steroids. It was one of those things where we can act very child, childish as men by doing things, by stomping our foot down, where I would be like, I have two master's degrees and I have a wife, a kids and a house. I don't need mental therapy. Clearly I have my stuff together to that level. And it would be the same way with my spending. It would be like, I earn X amount of money. I should be able to blow X amount of money. And that way got me into over $75,000 of credit card debt. Um, The, I deserve this because I've had a rough week. I'm going to eat what I want, got me up to 365 pounds. And it wasn't until I realized the one thing I did deserve was prioritizing healthy choices in both mental, financial, and physical that I really started to do it. And that's lifelong work. It's taken me five years of unvaccinating from post-traumatic stress to my wife's postpartum to uh, job security issues, to how am I handling getting weight loss surgery? How am I handling showing up to my friends and family with weight loss surgery? To how am I now managing myself in the community? And how did weight loss surgery not cure my binge eating, but how are we fixing that? I've done all that work with the same therapist over five years. So it's not that you ever fix therapy. You find a new thing that helps better yourself. But Mm -hmm. the only thing I know is me going into 38 next week is better than I was at 33. And it's a hell of a lot better than I was at 25. So, you know, with therapy, I feel like I'm getting better as I keep going on. Well, and, and something you, that you uncovered there, because we'll talk about a, a lot of times you hear in the weight loss community that the weight is a symptom of something deeper. And what you touched on, and I can't help but think of that whole thing that people say that how you handle one area of your life is how you handle all of them. So, and it's the same principles when you're talking about uh, finances. And yeah, with Dave Ramsey, I like this, this straightforward approach where literally, yes, it seems very repetitive and yes, it doesn't seem complex, but the way that he teaches money management, financial freedom is like it, it works. So, you know, you want to eventually have a million dollar net worth, you, you follow these principles and it'll take you there. But like the way that you handle one area of your life is, is just kind of like the way that you are. And I think it's very easy for us to say, just like you said, I've got, you know, I've, I've got the degrees, I've got the job, I can spend money on what I want, I can eat whatever I want. And I don't need, you know, I, I'm, I'm crushing life, but, you know, then eventually it, it all catches up to you and, and things, things definitely do change. Now, what was, cause there's a lot of people um, that are going to be listening to this that are working on their weight loss journey. Uh, what, um, what are some of the, the, the key takeaways working with your therapist? How has that helped you when it comes to weight loss? I think for me, um, something that my therapist did with me that I really didn't like at the time, but it really did help me 
was he had me write down every time I've tried to lose weight and what happened. And I ended up writing over two weeks. I've had over 15 different times where I said, this is it, line in the sand, I'm losing weight. Mm -hmm. Every time I've done that, I've gained. And that's, that's a scary thought because when you get to your 16th time, you think, well, what's going to be different this time? And one of those things you have to realize is I had an overly aggressive pattern and theme through everything that I did. It was the, I'm going to restrict my calorie to 1200 calories. I'm going to do this Rocky four, like training in the shed montage workout for everyone our age who watched that. Yes, um, yes. I'm going to run 52 miles at 6 a.m. And I'm going to start doing 5 a.m. workouts. Um, and they all failed miserably. Or I'd lose some of the weight for a little bit of time. I'd get to a weight that I thought was okay. And then I would go back to living the life I did before. And I would gain it back and then some. Um, the best advice I can give is track your calories and track your money. It took from doing financial peace and tracking with Fitbit for me to put these two numbers together. I was eating 5,000 to 6,000 calories a day. Scarier for me was I was spending six to $700 a month on fast casual or just fast food that wasn't even a meal. Yeah. Meaning that I had breakfast, I had lunch. When I came home from work, I was stopping at Taco Bell. Yeah. And when it, when it looked at the data, and the data doesn't lie to you, when you see you're eating at a 6,000-calorie surplus and you're eating, you're spending $600 a month, you start thinking, what could you do with that extra calories and money at the end of the month? And I had a Boba Fett piggy bank that I kept, and every time I beat a binge, I would just put $10 in. After two months, I was able to buy my own treadmill. After six months, I built the home gym that everyone sees me work out of. Yeah. I literally bought and made a home gym on Wendy's. And that, that to me made me realize I'm cheating money out of my family. I'm cheating money out of myself and I'm cheating myself out of my own life. You know, now when I don't go to, I take that $600 a month and I put it towards things, I'm sending my family on vacation. I'm crushing debt. I'm moving things into a better part of my life. And I'm realizing that fast food and my weight kept me from living my best life. So I always like to say when I do a podcast at the very end, if there's something that we could talk about on a follow-up episode, I'm happy. You and I will definitely take a, an approach at weight loss because I, I think I, I, I see what you're getting at with that. And I think it's, it's definitely, it's, it's doing the stuff that, seems a little that, that is tedious that seems like you don't necessarily want to do but it's the it's collecting that information that data and having it right in front of you um now you did you you, you tied it in between weight loss and uh finances you, i think you kind of did also with mental health um what would if somebody needs to see the data with their mental health um they're not in therapy yet and clearly we are not mental health professionals you know, and play people. one on TV. So exactly. Or the internet. Um, but what uh how could how would you tie the collection of data into mental health for somebody that's just thinking about this first? That's my journal. 
I mean, that's one of those things that I, it's a good and a bad thing with me. I'll forget the emotions I feel very quickly. So I may blow up in a situation, but I come back down relatively quickly. And then I forget. Um, one thing for me is just journaling. Keep something in your phone of why am I feeling anxious? There were so many times I didn't realize I was anxious because I didn't identify that I was anxious and I couldn't identify what the root was for me being anxious. So it started for me to look at those things. And when patterns will eventually evolve, I realized I get very anxious when I don't have a schedule. I get very anxious when I don't know what the outcome of a situation will be. I get very anxious when I feel that there isn't a clear plan or vision of what's going on around me. And those are just mild ways that anxiety manifests in my day. But the beauty of knowing that from tracking it and journaling is that allowed me to start identifying ways I could either make plans or come to terms with the fact there is no plan and being okay with that as well. But it's, it's journaling. And the more you put in between journaling, tracking, whether it be food, feelings, or finances, ooh, three Fs. There's the teacher in me being phonetic. Food, feelings, and finances. I'm writing that down. There you go. <laughs> Everyone gets this awkward pause on the podcast now, but I'm literally well, writing it. Yeah, you're, you're writing it down. I'm already thinking, gee, this, this will be on t-shirts. This will be on mugs. They could probably hear my brain turning. I'll be right, Rob D. 2022. There we go. It's in. But no, it's it's those three things between tracking your food, feeling, and finances. I can't tell you that it's changed my life. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I yeah. show up at work. I show up to my friends better. I built more community people. I get to hang out with awesome people like you, Dow. Uh, you know, and it's one of those that the more you put into your life, the more you're going to get out of. And that means you have to be active, you have to start early, and you have to do the work often. Because the work of weight loss surgery, uh, finance or food, uh, is whatever you put into. I love that. I, I do. And I want to, um, we, we definitely will I do some follow-up episodes on this. But again, there, there's such a, a it, it's a tie-in of collecting the data and doing the work consistently. And, you know, it's, uh, it's just crazy how that ties into everything else uh, or ties everything together. Well, with that, Rob, we're going to go ahead and wrap up tonight. Uh, I conversation was about what I was expecting, which is that we would have a lot of, we'd have a really good back and forth and there'd be some really good nuggets in there. So I appreciate you hopping on with me. Is there anything else that, uh, that you want to say to folks before we wrap up? No, just uh, get out there, do the work. If you need anything, you can follow me on Instagram. My weight is history. Uh, I'm open to help whoever needs help. Uh, and again, I don't play a doctor or a psychologist on TV even. Uh, I'm just a dude who's recording in my basement and doing my workouts about five feet from here. So I love it. I love it, man. Well, we'll talk soon. Appreciate you coming on. All right. Anytime, Daryl. Have a great night. You too. Welcome to the conversation. And this week on the men's mental health series, I've got Neil with me and Neil, you are, um, we've been connected for a long time. Oh. Yes. Oh, yes. some four years now, I'd say. Yeah. At, at this point it is, it's been, yeah, I, I would say about four years. Um, I know that 
the the topic at hand that we're going to get into it's it, it's it's a story that you were talking about that we can unpack. We're, we're going to talk about continuing to get up, keep getting up. Uh, but before we do that, I want to get into some of your interests as well because I'm looking on our call here. We've already talked about the um, Intercontinental Championship that you have. Oh, that is that is the coolest belt. That is so cool. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh, and that's the old white and gold. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then that, of course, that's got the that's got the, the snapback too. Oh man, that is legit. Yep. Do, you, do you just wear that at times? I would totally wear that. Just wear it to the shops. I would be well, at the very least, I'd be wearing it down the hallway, and I'd probably have um Macho Man entrance music playing. I, I would say pomp and circumstance. Well. I did think I've just got tickets to uh, Money in the Bank in yeah. the summer in London. Yeah, I was going to be that guy that took his championship to that, but the the hotel I've got because the hotel prices went crazy, like sure. four hundred dollars a night, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, and the hotel I've got is in a really bad area. Okay, uh, you don't even get a, a toilet in your bath in your hotel room you just sink in the corner yeah and a communal bathroom that kind of place so gotcha i would get mugged for it yeah yeah especially i mean yeah you're gonna you're gonna have a bunch of uh you're in a rough area you're gonna have a bunch of wrestling fans there with you now that's pretty when's the last time um i know they, they did clash at the castle was the last european event that they really did When's the last time that they've, they've been over in London? Uh, we had an NXT pay-per-view Yeah. some five years back. And before that, uh, I think you're talking SummerSlam 92. Wow. It's, did, um, it's been a long time coming. Did And how was, how was NXT UK received over there? Uh, fairly poorly, I think. Yeah. Because they started out, they had like, I think it was like the the UK championship before NXT UK was a thing. Um, and it, it never took off. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, so what are some of the, the bigger wrestling promotions over there? Pretty much just the american ones um okay. everything else is non-televised small time uh, a lot of scottish stuff yep. uh the what culture youtube channel they had their own wrestling promotion at one point yeah how how big did that get because i i came to what culture uh, after that but then i went back yeah, and they, they had jim cornett commentating at one point but i i think it was on the sort of verge of becoming something yeah and then through a bunch of scandals and uh i think the bunch of them left to start their own youtube channel then there was some sort of scandal with one of them and yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it just fell apart yeah no I, I i totally well and that um you know you and i've always had wrestling conversations i know that you're also you, you flip a lot of the action figures what am i looking at behind me i see spider-man i see one of the old we have got a we've got a signed Admiral Akbar, uh Wolverine and Spider-Man from the good old 90s TV series. The Spider-Man. 
Well, and, and I have to say, like you, my my only collect, yeah, this is still, uh, well, yeah, my only collectible that I still have that's like in its packaging is the Darth Revan that you sent me. Oh, yes. I remember that. Yes. So I, nice I to the have, old Republic. Yes, that, which is still when it comes to Star Wars, I I love that there's so much Star Wars stuff out now, but that by far. I know it's, it's not crazy. canon currently. Oh my gosh, it's it's my favorite. I, I absolutely love it. Well, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad. I've yeah. forgotten about that. Oh, I yeah, I have not. I see it every. Uh, I, I see it every so often, and I'm just like I'm stoked. But um, but yeah, cool. so that's, that's some of the, uh, the a lot of stuff that you and I can talk about from a, a, a nostalgia point of view. But you know, you said that there's a, a story that goes back a number of ways. Uh, and if you were ever to write this as an article, which I'm very much interested, if, you, if you're up for doing it, I want you to do. But, you know, yeah, keep getting up. What, what What is this? Where does all this start for you? Um, For me, it's that whole thing of two steps forward, one step back. Mm -hmm. I, school-wise, I left at 16. Um, you can leave at 16 here. You do your exams and then you can either do another two years to 18 and then that's kind of like college and then you go on to university. I was never that guy. I was never academic. I was I was a C D grade student. Yeah. Um, and I always got told by teachers, um, even my parents, it's like you're gonna end up with a a crap job you're never going to amount to anything and put down instead of encouraged mm -hmm. which that always that stuck with me so yeah I guess my story my story if it started in the middle would be January of 2019 I had just I was that guy that didn't move out of his parents' house till he was like mid thirties. Okay. But when I did it, I moved cross country, some 50, 60 miles away from home. Um, I got a fairly small two bedroom, one living room apartment. Mm -hmm. And I had got next to nothing in this apartment. So to set the scene, it, it was the coldest single brick wall apartment you've ever known. Um, you looked at the wall when it was cold and you could see the lines of mortar where the damp was. Mm -hmm. And I had, uh, I don't know if you guys have bags for life over there. Big shopping thing where very big shopping bag that you're supposed to just reuse. Yeah. I had two of these big bags for life, full of possessions, um, a backpack, a yoga mat, a sleeping bag, uh, a leather recliner, um, electric, and a 49-inch TV. Mm -hmm. So there's me living on the floor. And that was all I had starting out with this apartment. And mm -hmm. you, I've said this many times, I'm not a car guy. I, right. I've never had a car. I don't want a car. But when I moved away from my parents, it was a case of what can I get delivered and what can I carry on my back? Yeah. So that was the, 
I I kind of view life before and after that day. Um, and it was cold, it was miserable, um, but I had my 49-inch TV. Yeah. And the reason I was able to get the TV is because I'd been made redundant from my job. Right. And it was a job I'd had for, I say, 20 years. Um, it was 19 years, 11 months, which that always annoyed me. Never yeah. got that gold watch. Yeah. And... I had ended up at this job, like I say, 20 years before. Left school at 16. Um, I went off to do like an apprenticeship thing. Uh, they paid you like 50 bucks a week, mm-hmm. some nominal amount like that, and your bus fare. Um, and when you're 16, you kind of don't realize it then, but you realize it now. You're still a kid. You know, you're, you're fresh you don't know anything and me at 16 working in an office I lasted three four months and they were like yes yeah, sorry kid this is this is not for you you're not for us and that broke me because I'd come off the back of school I'd come off not getting good exam results um, and I went home said look they've let me go and all I got was and I told you so and that was my first real, yeah, I'm down. Yeah. How do I pick myself back up from that? Um, and I just did. I found another law firm. One thing I'm good at is selling myself to firms. It's um, like, what what can I give to you? How can I be of use to you? Um, and this, the second firm... Uh, they took me on at 65 bucks a week yeah. on the apprenticeship thing. So they're getting fired, the down, it turned into an up in a way. Um, and way back then, I mean, this is 98, mm-hmm. early 99. Yeah. The IT, the computers were, were like next to nothing. So yeah. there wasn't yeah. even an IT department. I was accounts. Yep. Um, and, you know, I... I learned a few things. Um, I learned the way law firms work. I learned, you know, just how to interact in an office with people, life skills. Yeah. I mean, you, you've got some of your own, you know, you know what it's like to, you know, have to teach these skills. Well, in and way. It's, so you started, you started at 16. And like you said, you are absolutely still a kid and life skills are fully so- green. Yeah, you are. Life skills are something that aren't really ever taught in school. You have this in the education system. Now, I don't, you know, on on this side, like I know here from a technological standpoint, there was one way of learning. You basically, and if you didn't fit right in that box, you were labeled, you know, a failure, a fuck up, any of it. And you know, like that, that sticks with you. So I think the good, the good thing for you with the apprenticeship and man, I mean, like, I feel a lot of times with the way college is set up here. And and this is a big thing here in in the States, whereas, you know, kids will go on to college and they just can like, yes, you have the opportunity to network and and develop skills and learn how the world works, but many of them don't. And then they get thrown into a very, 
wild, wide open job market, they don't know what to do. And then, oh, by the way, they've got all this debt tied in. So when when did you, so you, you were at the second job where they were paying you about 65 a week. Um, were you about 17 yeah. years old when this was going on? Uh, I turned, I started in the January. I think I turned 17 in the April. Okay. And they, after about six months, they doubled the money and, you know, it, the money did, it never got to fantastic amounts, but, you know, it did become a, a normal living wage over the years. But after about two years of the accounts, uh, they created an IT department. Uh, there was a, a lady called Kerry. She'd been there since 91 mm -hmm. to, uh, to put that into context. It's one of these like lifetime job for life firms or so yeah. we thought. Yeah. Um, and these people were like family over the years. I saw, I saw people have kids and I saw their kids turn 18 that kind of thing uh we went to each other's houses oh i went to theirs they didn't come to mine <laughs> garden parties um heck my my best friend he even had a kid with my friend from work so had i never worked there uh, young theo would never even exist yeah so it was it was family and especially the the boss lady christine that took me on um she was like a mother figure. Mm -hmm. uh, even uh, we were talking before we came on, I took a trip to Australia. Uh, it's another story for another day. She yeah. gave me a hundred pounds of her own money because she didn't feel I had enough spendo yeah. to take with me, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's important background for when you, you fast forward 15 years. Um, most of the same people there, they decided they were getting a new office, a uh, big proper purpose done, brand spanking new inside law office, like you see on TV, the glass yeah. walls, the fancy front desk, all of it. Prior to that, it had been like Edwardian terrace housing. They just kept getting the next building, knocking through, knocking through. Um, and I was at the heart center that phrase i was at the center of this office move um and i got cocky with it i felt like the place was my own in a way um we we moved everybody in it was chaos for a few months um and i got a bit full of myself yeah and then the fall came because they didn't like a super self-confident and overly cocky me yeah. um, and I got pulled up on my attitude and it it came like a shot out of the dark it wasn't just a, a smack on the wrist it was a full-on suspension from a job that had been my life yeah you know I was early 30s by that point um, and it it felt like a knife in the back. It felt like a betrayal. Um, mm -hmm. And they went through the full official process. I was suspended for a week. I had to come. I had to get uh, a representative, a, I think a fellow employee, mm -hmm. um, and meetings. And being a law firm, they've got all their own employment people. 
in house. Yeah. Yeah. And it broke me. It it broke my spirit. It broke my wanting to be there. Um and I felt betrayed by the people I called friends. And it's always a dangerous thing, yes, when you cross that line with coworkers, yeah. they're never really your friends in most circumstances. Um, And I was on maybe two years, like probation with them, kind of a, if you, if you screw up again, you're out the door, no warnings. Yeah. That kind of thing. Um, And it, it removed my ability to trust people. Like, because I, I had put my trust in the people around me and even the boss that had been there since 91, uh she she was horrible about it and then you've still got to sit there day after day opposite these people and the question i was asked at the time by friends it's like why don't you leave and this place this firm they had a way of bringing in people like me that didn't have the the college degree the university degree and they would tell you well, who's going to have you because you know we've trained you up we'll have you but nobody else is going to have you you've not got the bits of paper right and it was it was manipulative yeah and they did it to not just me but others as well um and i think so there there is like there's so many layers to to this story one you despite what you had been told through from everyone throughout your life we talked about school but it wasn't just school like people in general these, these are labels that were put on you yeah where you you started i and this whole the, uh, the apprenticeship thing i think this is something um we honestly need more of in today's world because again you have an evolving job market and people don't have skills you getting into it when you did we're talking about the late 90s like that's the yeah. boom so you and then working with this company where they brought you on and you basically like before there was even an IT department. So you you know the ins and outs of this stuff as you're continuing to yeah. develop skills. And the interesting thing is your your field of study, even more so than mine, mine. So you're you work in IT. I work in marketing with marketing. There are at least some foundational principles that don't change that you do yeah. need to know. Um but with everything I know of IT, the the degrees are obsolete, and and you know it it's yeah. like you. And Windows ninety eight anymore. <laughs> yeah, Clippy's Clippy's not going to help you. You you you're, he's not going to answer your questions at this point. You um, explain that one to the kids out there. Yeah, I know. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but like it, it's it's interesting though because you you got on in this this time this line of work where you're developing skills, you're building yourself up, they're building into you, they gave you the opportunity, there's a lot of good with that. But then there's also the stuff that you're talking about, where, you know, there, there's this seed planted where, hey, we took you on, and you you have every right to be loyal to this organization because of yeah. just the overall environment, you said very close-knit, tight-knit group of people, and you totally see 
where everybody would become friends. And I also, so, and, and another thing that I, that I want to touch on, and you, I, I appreciate you being very open about this. You said, look, I'd been there for a while. I'd grown with the company. We're in this brand new office. I was in a situation when I first started working, I was making 50 bucks a week. And the company that I worked for at the, at the very beginning told me, hey, you know what? Sorry about your luck, kid. This isn't going to be the place for you. You you had had a career. You'd built everything up. And I also want to touch on, you You mentioned um, living at home until your mid-30s. In the world we yeah. live in now, the most important thing, I think, for anyone at any age is get yourself set up and structured. If that means that you're, there's no expiration date. If you have an arrangement where you're living at home, whatever that is, however long it takes to get you on, uh, you know, on your feet, on get on your feet. This notion that we have that you have to follow, you have to follow a certain path to figure things. Yeah, out. like there's a path or a plan with yeah. set waypoints. Yeah, you got you got to adjust, and and life life you adjust as life throws things at you. But I I, I love that you were honest enough to say, hey, you know what, <laughs> I I was I was a cocky prick, and absolutely, yeah, you know, I, them, I was. Yeah, and then putting you on probation probably was the right thing but it sounds like what happened is you were part of this environment that was super you know and it, it was manipulative but it was also very encouraging and they were very supportive but yeah. when it was when, when we have something that is a workplace issue they are very much by the book you're dealing with attorneys the person that runs yeah. like the person that runs the firm goes into bulldog attorney mode and then how the heck are you like you working in that environment you're like whoa you know i i saw one side of this personality the entire time i was here and now based on this situation i'm seeing something else this is this is yeah i mean a, a yeah. funny well it's not funny but a mini side story to that yeah. uh the the head of employment i'd known her since she was a trainee she started a few months after i did back in 99 mm -hmm. um and we used to have a running joke that i called her the angel of death because anytime you saw her near um the hr office somebody's ass was getting fired yeah. so and obviously you won't see this on the podcast but we used to do just a swooping <laughs> wings motion at each other and there was a point during the the sort of tribunal meeting thing where it was just her and me left in the room while the others two went to get something. Yeah. And she looked at me awkwardly and just she did a mini version of the wings because she felt awkward about it. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, um, I mean, and yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say um, the the end of that place was they sold the company about three years later. Um, a lot of people left. Uh, we we got a good package. That's how I got the money to get the apartment. Um, I think they paid us a year's money tax-free and then three months notice with tax. So, you know, a good $30, $33,000. But on the leaving party, she said to me, I would never have let them get rid of you. And it was like, yeah, okay, you're saying that in the pub now. We don't work there. Yeah, yeah. Would have been useful at the time. Well, so that that in itself is a very, and this is the interest, and this is going back to something you said. When you're, you know, it's tough to have friendships at work because at the end of the day, it is business. 
and at the, it is set up in a it's very much a survival uh, office culture and you know it, it's tough because you spend so much time with with people that everything is being intertwined and you know you know some people personally but it's hard not to take things as a personal slight when you have a situation like this where hey you know i'm i'm working with these people we've been doing a job we've been coming together there's all kinds of of uh you know mingling within each other's lives and you know yeah easy for you to say that you wouldn't you, you hate to see me leave but you're not gonna vouch for me because then it's your ass too um yeah you know, and, and I think, so I, I think another thing, because there's, there's a lot of people experiencing layoffs. I was laid off last summer as well. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about, I, I want to talk more about kind of after you got the apartment, because I feel like at that yeah. time, and I know for me, I had to take some time and figure out what my next step was going to be. And because I didn't want to be I felt the, the company that I worked for, the people I worked with, I absolutely loved. We were a very small uh, team working to get things done and get things out. Very intelligent, hardworking, amazing group of people. But when I was talking to the executives and I was let go, it was a very cold, thank you for your service, you're out the door. And when you've, I only had three years in this company, when you had the experience, yeah. I'm like, man, like, is this, is this? truly it so then i had to kind of just take some time to to figure things out what what was that like for you you got your severance you're you're uh, getting you're in your apartment what was that like i decided two things when i got the severance that um excuse me still getting over that yeah yeah um a lot of the the big shot sort of partners who the old place was owned by four people that they sold out, whatever. But there's like that whole second tier level of big time partners who, you know, they're all they're all great people to know. I know so many people in the legal world now from yeah. over the years. Um, it's like to when I got the job, I mean, now um, I put it on LinkedIn, whatever, and I had a judge message me and say hey great to have you back in the legal profession and he was somebody that worked with and that so I've got all these connections and you know people I was very very friendly with them hesitant to use the word friend with right yeah people cordial yeah we'll say cordial but um there was one guy in particular uh Pete uh you you'd love the guy he's I know, probably 45, 50, a um, little bit eccentric uh, lawyer. Um, yeah. We we went clubbing once, me and him, at yeah. the end of a work night out. And they wouldn't give him his coat back because uh, he'd lost his little ticket with the coat yeah. number on. Yeah, yeah. So he spent £250 suing them to get a £60 coat back because oh, the principle of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of guy he was yeah i get it and he said to me he got in with a firm called gately um and they're where i am now the reason i moved kind of 50 60 miles away i was originally in leicester yeah which is kind of 
it's not a small town, but it's like the 14th biggest town in the country or something. Yeah. Birmingham, or Birmingham, um, is like Actually, the second yeah. biggest. It's like it's Chicago, basically, gotcha. Gotcha. that kind of thing. Um, there's the second tier law firms are over this way. So my plan was have a sabbatical, take, I don't know, six months off, whatever, just build a new life yeah, and then get in touch with Pete and go and work where he had gone to. Yeah. And he'd given me his card. He put this offer out there. Um, and I got the apartment in what January. Uh, and I think I said to myself, oh, I'll give it till, till Easter, whatever. And then I'll start looking, see what I'm doing, figure it out. And by April, May, I, I got into a real habit of just spending money everywhere. Um, and it was, the money was going down fast. Um, I was getting takeout when I wanted yep. uh, I a bottle of vodka. That was right over the street. I got a, got a bottle of vodka. Sounds like I've been drinking now. Get my words out of my mouth. You're good. Uh, the money was going down fast. Um, but the effort wasn't there. I was, I was happy because I was away. I was doing my own thing, but I was also lonely. Um, and I was getting deeply depressed. Like my, my friends, they were all back home. They were doing their own thing. Rarely did they come over. Um, you know, 60 miles might've been 600 miles. Uh, I didn't know anybody around where I lived, any of that. And I got into a rut and it became hard to even want to get a job. Yeah. And then I got an email from a recruiter. I think it was on LinkedIn actually. Um, And they'd said to me, because my LinkedIn is obviously it already got two law firms on by then. So I'd been a bit typecast Yeah. and they said, Oh, we've got, uh, like a temporary job down in London. I think it was like a three-month contract. But um, London is the wealth divide between London and the rest of the country is crazy. Like, pick that. any job, and the money's like forty percent higher than yeah. anywhere else. Um, and this, it was in. Uh, oh, it's called Canary Wharf, and. What's what's your financial district? Wall Street. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's it's kind of like going from small town Iowa or wherever. Yeah. Um, to working on Wall Street, and yeah. I thought, oh, there's no way I'm going to get this job, but it'll be great practice because you know I hadn't done an interview in like 20 yeah. years. We're away interview. So. <laughs> I, I went down there. Um, I thought, oh, well, great. They've got uh, Forbidden Planet, the action figure shop. Yeah. How often do I get to go to London to see that? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's it's a day out. Yeah. Um, and I went to the interview. I even, right before the interview, this is how seriously I wasn't taking it. I went to the pub and had a pint, <laughs> which is just, just such a bad idea. But maybe that relaxed me. Yeah. I don't know. But long story short, I got that job. Um, 
and I don't know, it's actually the place the wrestling is going to be at. It's, um, it's a place called the Millennium Dome. Okay. They built this giant white tent in London. Um, it looks like a giant hubcap. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's kind of London's that. biggest indoor stadium now. Yeah. Um, the O2. Yeah. And back at the old job that didn't treat me so well, uh, for whatever reason, I had like a panoramic postcard of the O2 yeah. uh, pinned on my little notice board next to my desk. Yeah. And that became, got that job uh, like high rise. We'd run like the 13th floor. And that was my view out of the window of the actual O2 arena. So looking over the Thames, all that, it was like the ultimate metaphor for having bounced back. Yeah. Which I thought was great. I think somewhere in the depths of my Snapchat, uh, there is a video of me walking from my desk to the window with the song, How You Like Me Now playing. <laughs> and that was that was my two fingers. Yeah, yeah. Or one finger. <laughs> at all the people that had said, you can't do it. Yeah. You're never going to do it. And that was, it was a three-month contract. Um and I met the most amazing people, but yeah. it was difficult. I had to be down there five nights a week. Mm. So I was renting an apartment in Birmingham or near to Birmingham, yeah. traveling three hours on the train and then across London and then having to get a hotel five nights a week. So even though the money was great, yeah. it was kind of all about getting that, that on my CV, my resume yeah. and building yeah. it up. And I thought, great, three months and I'm done. Uh, and it got to the end of the three months and they said, you know, do you want to do another month? And I think that took me up to the start of December that year. And I yeah. was like, great, I've done four months, some really good money. I've still, you know, made a profit, even with, our, with the travel and the hotels. Yeah. And I really felt like I'd bounced back. Yeah. Um, and I'd gone from a year earlier, it was, it was pretty much a year to the day that I'd finished at the old place, that I finished at the London place, mm -hmm. and I could hold, hold my head high. Yeah. And then they, very fortunately for me, they, I was a contractor, so they didn't have to have me over Christmas. They said, look, we'd like you back in January for another two months. Um, which got messy because, you know, the January not earning anything by yeah. the time it came back round to, or Christmas not earning anything, earning anything, it got round to the January. It's like, oh, I can't actually finance going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. the severance money, you know, that went in all the time when I wasn't working. And then funding the initial month or so of being down in London. I mean, you can, for a good hotel, 60, 70, $80 a night. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it adds up. Yeah. Um, and you're at that point, you're having to rent by the, or do the hotel by the week or by the month. And like that's. Yeah. yeah. While still having my, my little apartment back up here. Um, yeah. Actually, the apartment I was renting, that was, I think, $450 a month. Yeah. And I said to one of the, the younger kids, uh, down in London, I says, "Oh yeah, mine's four fifty And she said, "What a week!" 
and that's the difference between renting a place yeah. in London yeah. versus elsewhere in the country. Yeah. Huge no, I, disparity. Oh, I, I, yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, if the if the wages are about 40% higher down there, I'm sure the cost of living, as you just illustrated, is about four times that much. Um, so where, where are you... So is this, are, are you doing contract work now or what was it like after that contract? Well, there's a, there's a slight, that kind of led me into the next down in a way, yeah. Um, yeah. which was COVID. Yeah. So by this point, you're at January, February, March, 2020. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I got fortunate again in that after they'd given me those extra two months, they took a roll of the dice one more time and they said, look, we'll give you another three months. And they gave me those three months right before COVID. Yeah. Or as COVID was hitting, yeah. um, nobody really knew that the work from home thing was going to be what it was. Right. Um, so I was then ultimately living the dream. I was working from home on yeah. the London money. Yeah. So that was never going to last because I knew full well uh, by the June they weren't going to renew me again. Yeah. Law firms are the tightest buggers going. Uh, as soon as it's not looking good, purse strings drawn. So, but, so, but you basically, yeah, I mean, that at least on that, you're kind of like, I mean, you were running the numbers. You knew what that was, what that was going to look like. So what, yeah. what is, what's work been like for you since that contract? What's been going on with that? Well, I was I was out of work then for I think a year, thirteen months. Yeah, yeah. And I see our, our mutual friend through whom we met. Yeah. Uh, she once said to me, "You need to start looking now because if you start looking for a job now, by the time you get your first paycheck, it's probably four months from now." even if you get a job quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in that she was very wise, but it was that same thing of, I was in the crappy apartment. Uh, by then the hot water had stopped working. The, the landlord didn't want to know. So I took the London money I'd made and rolled the dice uh, and moved to like a proper house. Yeah. And I was able, fortunately, to to write a, an A4 page to the landlord saying, this is where I've come from. Um, I can give you six months money up front. Um, I will bounce back. I will get another job in the legal profession. I yeah. just need somebody to have a little faith in me. Yeah. And fortunately, the landlord did. I'm, I'm sure the six months up front during COVID was <laughs> kind of helped, you know, yeah. Pleasant yeah. to him on a 12 month yeah. contract. Yeah. But uh, I paid the six months and yeah, I took it down to the wire by the end in terms of being able to afford the rent. Yeah. Um, but yes, I bounced back yeah. I, from, from being depressed in the flat, the apartment. I got this house, uh, I got a cat. Uh, I started meeting people locally. Yeah. God, I love that cat. Yeah. He's, a, he's an evil creature. <laughs> uh, and the house, the change of environment, that was my bounce back that time. Yeah. And, 
And it was only when I was comfortable with myself and my surroundings and my situation that I felt like I could go and hunt the job I wanted in the first place, which was with the guy, Pete, who sued for his coat. Yeah. And I put in a call to Pete and I said, Pete, I'm down. Yeah. I'm, I'm rock bottom. Yeah. You know, can you help? And he said the office still there. Um, and he put me in touch with the right people. And it's it's a fairly, I mean, there's a league table of law firms. And I think they're like the 52nd biggest yeah. or something like that, which it doesn't sound a lot, but that's quite yeah. up there in law firm terms. No, and even the London place is like number 60. There you go. So constantly going up and up that ladder. Um, and part of getting these jobs which, and I'm proud of them. I'm you proud do. to say, look, I'm not working somewhere that I don't feel, I don't want to knock somebody that works in a supermarket, but, you know, I'm, what, 40 now, that's not for me. Yeah. Um, I want to work somewhere professional, somewhere I can take a massive amount of pride in. Yeah. Um, and I have, every interview I've had, I've traded on the fact that I'm not just IT, I'm legal IT. So yeah. I've pigeonholed myself. And that's that's worked for me every time. I, I definitely, I mean, one, you, you should be proud of everything. I mean, you you have basically worked through this and, and, and I appreciate you sharing this from start to finish because there's ups and downs throughout. But yeah, you have gotten yourself into a place where it's a very competitive industry. You got in early, unknowing. And, and I think yeah. something to, to illustrate to everybody that's listening. I mean, when we're talking about careers, there has to be an element of luck. Uh, you, you, whether yeah. that be the time. Oh, start, absolutely. It's yeah. The wheel. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to be able to, you, you have to have some luck and you, and again, you have to have a, a variety of experience, but it's also, again, where uh, you've been very, I think being pigeonholed, like you said, is a good thing because I mean, it's, it's IT for legal departments and for legal offices. So this is experience that you have. You're still, uh, even though I know, man, I, I'm telling you at our age, like at times it, it does not feel like it, but we're still relatively young. And, um, you know, I, one thing I think when we talk about professions, I, I don't think we're I don't think we're ever going to retire, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think a lot of times people that were sold the dream of one company that they work for, they work there yeah. for forty years and retire. Job for life. Yeah, they don't know what to do with themselves, and I just I think for a variety of circumstances, some of them being you know budgets and having to you know want to keep up a quality of life, um, but also you know what are you what are you going to do at the back end of your life if you have a you know, if you're, if you're not working, like, I mean, if you mentioned depression, yeah. I feel like you lose, you lose who you are, uh, elements of who you are as a person. And, you know, one of the things I talk about is, is trying to make your identity about the qualities that you are of a person and not the things that you do, which includes work, but it's difficult because so much of what we do, um, again, you spend more time at your job than you, than you do with anyone else. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the flip side of that, something I, it's perhaps a toxic trait uh how do i combat sadness depression we buy action figures yeah. Yeah. and you know it's 
it's I could be doing a lot worse things. I could be, you know, hitting the drink, hitting the drugs. Yeah. I mean, the action figure community calls it plastic crack. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. But at least some of that stuff, we just keep telling ourselves it's an investment. Well, and I mean, it, there's nothing wrong with having interest. And I mean, it's I think what's funny about the action figures, I, when I see stuff out, um, when they're reintroducing the nostalgia stuff from the 80s, they're not even trying to come up with a new package idea or any... Oh, no, the Ghostbusters, oh, yeah. especially. Some of the Star Wars, it's just identical. Yeah, it's, it's just it's crazy. Package refurbished and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's nuts. But man, this, this is, I'm glad we got to sit down and have this conversation. I know a lot of guys out there. I mean, there have been layoffs. I mentioned that, that I went through it and, you know, whatever the situation is that you're in, I mean, eventually, yes, people, you, you have to work. You get to the point where you're like, eh, things are a little bit tighter than I like them to be. Let's get this going. Yeah. But, you know, you you were you were able to get it going. And, and I think for anybody that's listening. But it is it is about just I think it was a quote in Rocky, it's not how hard you get knocked down, it's how hard you get back up, something like that. Yeah. But it is it's about the getting back up and you know, hopefully I won't have to get back up anytime soon. Right. Because, I mean, when we're never all going to stay on the up. There's always going to be ups and downs. But right. I'd like to think that I've been through my sort of debts yeah. and come out the other side. It sounds terribly cliche, but I've come out the other side stronger for yeah. it. Well, and the, and, and the reason stuff sounds cliche is there's, there's truth to it. But no, man, I mean, this this has been great. And for anybody listening that wants to connect with Neil, I do have your Instagram linked up in the show notes so people can reach out to you. But uh, but this was fun, man. We'll uh, we'll do it again, Thanks. I'm sure. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon, all right? All right. Have Thanks. a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Welcome to the Your Level Fitness Podcast. I'm excited to introduce you guys to Megan. She's uh, she's She's got quite a story, personal story, professional story all tied around fitness and weight loss. Megan, welcome to the Your Level Fitness Podcast. Hey, thank you. I'm glad to be here. So let's let's get right into it. Um, for you, where does your, your story with health and fitness start? Oh man, a long time ago is where it started. Um, but I grew up as the fat kid. So that's probably where it started. So I have struggled and been challenged by an overweight body my entire life. Mm -hmm. So that's where it started. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So, and, and so let's talk about that. You know, when, when you talk about an overweight body, was there, was there pressure for you to try to, to lose weight either by individuals or kind of the societal thing like where where did all that come from oh man so I have two things that I think um directly impacted my personal story as an overweight kid and I think the influence of my parents and constant um yo-yo dieting if you will like there was always 
Um, and it wasn't necessarily that they were pushing it on me, but they were doing it, yep. um, which meant me doing it. Um, so I think that definitely played a big role um, as the influence. You know, I don't really ever remember necessarily being bullied as a kid, and that could be because I blocked it out. Who knows? Yep. Yep. Um, but the other thing that I feel like really impacted being overweight is restriction one of the rules that i remember vividly like my parents were because of the, they were yo-yo dieters and you know maybe even still are today right um and they you know would say no candy you can't have this you can't have bread you can't you know all of the things you can't have so what that meant is in secret, I would go, you know, to the little, you know, I don't know if you remember the little candy stores at the corner, you know, you yep. and your friends would go to, yep. and I would take my change and I would buy a bunch of candy and I would hide it in my room and eat it because I wasn't allowed to have it. So I definitely think like the if quote unquote restriction or the idea behind, um, you know, not being able to have it definitely impacted my choices as a kid. So this, and I typically on, 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 on this podcast, when we do the interviews, I don't interject my personal opinion often, but you said something that I think is very eye-opening for anybody listening that's on a weight loss journey that has kids that you probably even said it. I'm doing this partly because I want to be an example to my kids. And more, more so than how much weight you lose or how your body looks, what we pick up on when we're younger is how you approach things. So the, the way you talk about food, the way you talk about your body, it's yeah. the hardest Absolutely. stuff to work on, but that's the stuff that we take. And I think, you know, you know, you and I were, were around the same age. I think I grew up in the 80s, in the 90s, the yo-yo restriction dieting, it was just part of it. It was the thing. Yeah. yeah. So you see your parents doing it. And like, I remember like this, the tab soda in the house when I was, when I was a little kid. <laughs> um, but like, you pick up on it. And then you know, it, and it just like, it becomes almost normal. So I apologize. I, I don't mean to interject, but I thought that was a no, absolutely. I think it's talk about. Yeah. relatable. Um, so I would say, yeah, definitely those two things played, you know, really a huge impact on my journey to today, right? I think the, those things and those, um, yeah, those principles don't go away between the yo-yo dieting and, and restriction. So um, throughout my childhood, like I said, I don't, we weren't very active. Um, I didn't really do a lot of sports in high school. I did, you know, the yearbook club, all of those kinds of things, but not really a lot of sports. So not super active. Um, I rollerbladed um, and rode my bike on the weekends as a kid, but growing up, um, I then, um, it was probably really when I moved to North Carolina, I live in North Carolina, um, where I finally said like this, I remember, gosh, this was probably, I don't know, 17 years ago now, so a while, um, and I, it wasn't called keto at that point, um, but yeah. it was maybe called low carb and where you restrict your carbs, etc. and I did that and um, lost weight on it and 
Um, then went back to regular eating and I gained back inches and pounds and all of the things because what was it? It was a yo-yo diet at that time. And so, um, finally I said, I can't do this. And, um, one of the key things I think in anything that you're trying to achieve specifically in weight loss or fitness is accountability Mm -hmm. and having a support system that understands is kind of going through the same thing. So, um, those were also the days of meetup starting. So I started a weight loss support group um, out of my very, very tiny one bedroom apartment mm-hmm. and uh, called Too Sexy for This Fat. And that definitely changed. And we would we would talk about weekly topics like yo-yo dieting and um, have different, you know, mindset things that um, that we would have conversations about to, to really just about eating well, not the restriction, not the yo-yo dieting, eating in moderation, the good stuff, if you will. Um, And, um, and yeah, so that is where really my, I would say my healthier version of, and, and mindset of weight loss and fitness really started was in my early twenties. So, and, and that's a, uh, this was in person. So like you were, and I I remember when meetup was, and this was, I think even before it was an app, it was a website, uh, gather around. This is how the internet used to be. Um, but (laughs) I I think that's important too, because meeting face to face and talking about this stuff removes some of the isolation. And I think back to when you were talking about when you would, would go to the candy store and sneak things. I mean, I, I feel like that's a very easy thing to do when you're sneaking this, this food is bad. So you do it, it's something that you do in isolation. And even just the fact that you were meeting in person, um, I, I think that was probably that was probably super helpful. So how how long um how long did that meetup last, would you say? Oh my goodness, that's a really good question. Um, years. Yeah. Um, definitely years. And it, it actually stemmed into so initially it didn't start really with fitness at all. Um, then it evolved into us meeting up at trails and kind of doing that. And then CrossFit started yep. around, you know, shortly after. So we did a private boot camp with uh CrossFit when it was opening that um dynamic of the gym changed. Um so really started doing boot camps outside uh, myself and Mm -hmm. that was good and really CrossFit let me back up CrossFit is definitely what helped me fall in love with fitness initially and um and then to boot camps and um really just found strength in my body which you know not only like finding the strength in my body, but also the strength in my mindset is what I fell in love with. And so did that. And then I ended up opening a studio, a fitness studio where we would really do boot camps. And I continued when I did this open the studio I went back to those in-person meetings as well because they're powerful right you you hit the nail on the head is is really not being able to hide and 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 be able to connect in person makes a difference so um continued that and um you know along the way throughout the journey fell in 
in love with running. Um, so that was a big part of the studio as well, um, is um, offering running programs. And one day I woke up and said, you know, I think I'm going to organize a 5k to empower people to conquer something that they didn't think they could conquer. And so that became an annual 5k um, that we would host at the studio and man, life changing um, for sure. And um, really through today, I am the same, the same thing, right? It's, it's consistent. It's the fitness, it's the running, it's the mindset more than anything and really tackling that um, so that you can show up well in your weight loss and fitness journey. So you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, now you mentioned that you hosted a 5k. Um, and you, you woke up and you decided to set that up now for anybody that's listening, if people decide that they want to set up an in-person event, specifically a running event, what are some things that they should consider that they're probably not thinking of because they've never done that before? Yeah. So, um, oh man, a lot. So logistically, um, yeah. you have to like, for me, I mean, you can look at, um, courses that are already certified for yeah. me I wanted I knew the route that I wanted so I actually had to get the route certified um, so I would say an in-person running event either choose a um, course or a 5k whether it's a 5k 10k or whatnot choose a course that's already certified and you can do that online or get it certified and they'll come out and market and certify it and so definitely that the actual route and then um, choosing, so the first couple years we used um, like a, 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 like a, a, why I cannot think of the word, you know, like a running where they do the tags and everything. Why I cannot think of the word. Like I don't the, know. Like the map my run type stuff. No, kind of, but where they give you the bibs and they give you like your, um, like time your run and, you know, they do the organized runners, right? Okay. There's companies that actually organize the race. Yes. And so um, that the first, uh, well, all three years that I did it, we used um, somebody, but that progressed. And like the final year we did like, you know, they had the whole archway and everything and, you know, and the screen so you could see your time. It was very cool. So definitely use, I would highly recommend using a company that's going to organize the race because you're going to have some people that, don't care about time and are just doing it to overcome something that they never thought that they could, but then you are going to have people that want to beat their PR. And so having um, a race organized company um, definitely makes a difference. Um, and then having a good support system, I have had and have an awesome community that came and volunteered. Um, my whole thing in life, but specifically with the 5k and running and anything that I do is I want people to feel good about themselves and feel sexy. So one of the things, you know, some 5k's you don't get race medals. And you know, so a lot of times you have to do a 10k to get a race medal, but I've done two half marathons. And that is like, why you run? So you yeah, get it's a for the medal, race medal, for the bling, of course. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like exactly. a trophy. Yeah. So and so even in the 5k, I definitely had the logo design and put the logo on race medals all three years, because I mean, that's why we run, sure. right? Totally. <laughs> um, totally. 
So those are just a few things that I would say to consider. There's a lot more that goes into it, but just a few things to consider if you're doing an in-person running event or any fitness um, in-person event, I would say those would apply as well. I, well, and I think the big call out is, um, you know, research the stuff. And I would say, try to research it, I would say a year in advance, if you could. Um, and they're probably, whether we're talking about running events or any type of any type of meetup, there are companies out there that can assist you with this stuff. Get your information, do your research, get all the info you can and really start planning it out. Because I, I figured like there's, you know, it it's an amazing, like it, it's a wonderful story. Of, yeah, you know what? I just woke up one day and decided I was going to like host a race. But um, I think you absolutely can put races together. I like the in-person events. I think that's where a lot of a lot of the online stuff falls short because yes, there's online communities, but it's completely different when you're actually able to be in person with people. So I, I just I wanted to get your thoughts on that because I I really knowing of your story, I think it's awesome how much stuff you've been able to do in person. And then now you're you're transitioning to doing a lot more stuff online. So I, I think that's super cool too. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I like the idea of planning ahead because I think um, when I think to that first year, right, um, there's definitely a lot of things that got better as each year, like lessons learned, like, oh man, I probably should have planned a year in advance, in advance right? I would say also know that it gets better, right? Like sometimes we don't act because we want everything to be perfect and perfectly planned. And then we never show up and do the thing, whether that's a workout or an event or our weight loss journey, right? Oh, I have to, I have to have a gym membership to actually start working out, right? Or I have to have the race company before I can actually do it. And so I think, um, you know, I like the idea of planning it, but also remember that you learn and you grow and it gets better after the first time too. And the second time too, you know, it continues to, to get better. So just be careful in the planning, you know? Yes. Well, oh, oh, that that's a whole topic. People getting lost in planning and not taking action. So I'm I'm, yeah. I'm glad that you I'm glad that you uh, that you call that out. Now, when did you start to train? So you mentioned well another question. So your studio was that you were doing boot camps? Um, was that a CrossFit gym or was that a boot camp where you were doing CrossFit style workouts? Yeah, I wouldn't even say CrossFit style workout. So um, I did a beta um, okay. because, um, so I did a beta before I even, you know, went into the studio and opened the studio, found a space for it, et cetera. I did a beta for boot camps outside and really just um, not a lot of, you know, we didn't at the time didn't do box jumps or anything. It was jump ropes and yeah. body functional body movement. So yeah. similar in that with CrossFit. Now I feel like CrossFit is weight, right? That's mostly what it is. So I, I wouldn't say it was CrossFit styled. It was boot camp styled in, in the fact that you're running and you're using, you're building strength through functional body movements. Um, and so did a beta five o'clock in the morning, had some amazing women um, come out and meet me and hated me at five o'clock in the morning. Um, but they, they showed up and um, it went so well and really empowered them to show up for themselves. And um, so 
then ended up opening the studio. When I opened the studio, I did that same boot camp inside um, and, you know, expanded to box jumps because I think they're powerful and there's a lot you can do with them. And um, also, aside from boot camp, then hired some instructors to come in and do um, so, some different things. So yoga, Zumba was big. I don't even know if Zumba still a thing, um, but at the time it was. And um, also some some fun things that make you feel good about yourself, like belly dancing and line dancing. So we had some classes um, that were hardcore, like boot camp, and you know make you feel like, dang, I just beasted that. But then also some things that make you feel sexy, hence to sexy fitness. So and and yeah, I wanted to. So the the I'm too sexy movement that you have. This this has been a evolving brand really you know from back from the meetup days and it you got it in person and then you started transitioning on online so when did you realize that you wanted to do some more stuff online where did you start with that and what does that evolve to So that's a good question. And so I knew when I closed the studio years ago, I knew what the next step was. I didn't necessarily envision it being online, actually. Okay. I envision and that progression in everything, right? Um, so when I closed the studio, I knew my next vision, which is not, if I'm being fully transparent, is not even in fruition yet. Okay. Um, but since I closed the studio, thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do next. And in between there have realized that there has to be um, something that bridges that gap, um, if that makes sense. And so um, still in line with that, I knew that I wanted this next thing to be involved around running and a beginner's running program because that um, has changed my life. But I also have, when I had the studio, I, I ran one of the classes that I offered was a six week beginner's running program in person. Mm -hmm. And I got to see how it changed people's lives, not only the class, but the 5k and people showing up for themselves. So their running is near and dear to my heart because it's changed my life several times over, but I've also got to experience and witness it change other people's lives. So I knew that that was going to be part of it. I didn't know that I would want to do it virtually, mm. um, actually. And so I don't know if there was ever probably COVID. Maybe at that point, um, you know, like, oh, I need to do it. But then it hit me like, it doesn't necessarily need to be in person. We have so many tools and resources um, to offer it virtually to reach a, a larger portion of women who can show up for themselves. What I'm really enjoying about this is typically when somebody comes onto this podcast, this is about telling their story. And I've had so many people come on and say, well, the next step is they, they want to do something where essentially you're giving back to the weight loss community. You've, you've been through the experience and you want to help others and they want to eventually start a, a business. And I like this because this is a very tactical, practical conversation that we're having, even to the call out of don't get stuck in the planning phase, because I know many of you listening have been planning for however long, and you still <laughs> haven't actually taken action on it. So 
but but what we're what we're talking about is how stuff evolves and how don't fall in love with I, th I think one of the most annoying quotes that I hear is be you know be flexible don't be flexible with your goals but be flexible with your methods and honestly you got to be a little flexible with both you have to be yeah, able to look at things as time goes on because yeah when we start we don't know what the next step is. And I love that we're talking about bridging the gap because you don't know how many gaps you're going to have to bridge between what you think is step one and step two, which I think once you have the proper perspective on it is one of the most exciting things because it's like uh, you realize we're all making this stuff up as we go along in a somewhat calculated way. So emphasis on making it up as we go along. I think the other thing that's important, you know, not only in um, bridging the gap, but also in how things evolve, but also remembering that you're evolving through that too. And that's really where that vision comes from, right? Like when I was doing boot camp, I can't say I was, when I first started that, you know, five o'clock in the morning outside in the dark, I can't say that I ever thought that I was going to be a running coach. Never, ever did I think that was going to happen, you know, and so to your point of flexibility, I think that absolutely is necessary. And being aware, right? Sometimes we get, we get caught up in what, like, oh, this is what it's got to look like. And then, right, you don't actually get to live fully aligned in, in what your purpose or, or what feels good and authentic, because you're so stuck in, oh, this is the only, this is what I thought it needed to look like. Yeah, I mean, the, the tunnel vision, I, and I think another thing when, when you get into like something that you're starting, there's, you know, YouTube is a great resource, podcasts are great resources, but be careful with the how-to content, because yes, mm -hmm. you, are, you are shown systems, and honestly, I personally think the, the brands, because that's what we're talking about, building brands and building communities here the things that feel the most authentic and ultimately the ones that are, are going to have the most success um, aren't following a paint by numbers plan. It's yep. a vision that somebody has or that a group of people have, and it changes over time. And man, when you start realizing that's what you're doing, oh, that's, that's when the fun begins. Like it's, it's an absolute yeah. it's a blast. It's a blast. Yeah. I agree. I think, you know, it's interesting because we're talking about business, but I think the same thing, you know, we had talked a little bit about my weight loss story, right? Yep. And and fitness story as a whole outside of business. And um, I would say, you know, whether it's in business and kind of goes in line with the, in line with the how-tos and getting caught up in that is, you know, we get caught up and overthink, oh, we got to do it this way. Or, you know, I have to have the plan, you know, to go to the gym, or I have to have the plan um, to, to do these deadlifts and this kind of, you know, all of the things. And what that does is we never show up, whether like, you know, that same concept can of business and, you know, getting stuck in what that end result is, or, you know, the same thing applies to our fitness and weight loss journey outside of business, right? We get caught up in the overthinking and the how-tos, so we never show up. Or when we do show up, we're overwhelmed and embarrassed and insecure, right? Because it's like, oh, I don't know how to do that. So, I, you know, it it's crazy how it all, you know, intertwines, whether it's business or whether it's our, our own stories that we're, we're trying to, to evolve through. 
So I, I think what we're talking about here as we as we wrap things up, and if you guys aren't connected with Megan, I've got her Instagram linked up in the show notes here. Make sure that you not only follow, but message her. She's very, very interactive. Um, <laughs> is show up and move forward. Like show up and keep moving. Absolutely. And pace yourself and do not burn yourself out because that's <laughs> simple statements, but so hard to put into practice, but, you know, keep, keep working at it guys. Like that's, that's what the whole thing is. So. Absolutely. So we will go ahead and wrap up here, but Megan, thank you again for hopping on and you and I'll talk again soon. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the YLF365 podcast. This is episode 56. We're going to talk about the importance of in-person connection. I shrug my shoulders, literally, I just shrugged my shoulders as I think about the fact that we do live in a digital first time, a digital first society, a digital first, whatever you want to call it. We have devices and screens in our hands right in front of us all the time. It's remarkable that you can have real-time conversations with somebody on the other side of the, of, of the world anytime that you want. It's amazing that we can connect with people based off of a common interest people all over the world. And we can build actual relationships, actual friendships, actual romantic relationships. Hey, right? <laughs> but if there's one thing that I that really stood out to me when I was you know, I was I worked for a tech company during the pandemic. We were very it was very easy for us to go from working on site in an office to working remotely. We were actually already putting um, I, I was I was transitioning to being a full-time work at home employee when when that started when the when the shutdown happened uh, three years wow three years ago now and you know the thing I, I I think is many of us learned to do our work at home whereas maybe previously we were in person is that things were it, it was very efficient you no longer had to even walk down the hall to go from one meeting to the next um, because you could just be on a, a Zoom call. You could be on a, a Google Hangout or whatever they call it now. I think they still call it Hangouts. Um, and you could be on meetings back to back to back to back to back. And all in the name of efficiency and productivity. So you, you would think that you could get a lot of things done, Right. But I think if, if you're someone that is tethered to your device or in front of your laptop or in front of your screen all the time, what you realize is it almost, I feel like it dulls the connection. Yes, we can connect with people. And I think, I think the, the technology of social media and all the, the messaging apps, I think it's wonderful to connect. But... If 
that's the only way that you're interacting, then it, it, the connection itself is duller than it could be or the connection dulls over time. Now, I don't think that you need to have in-person interactions with everyone that you come into contact with online or even everyone that you consider um, that you, you would consider a friend, right? Um, but I do think, I wonder about this, and I have, I have no background in mental health other than the fact that um, I'm pretty good at, at communicating what I think and feel what I observe and I've got my own experience with, with therapy and, and going through the process of working through things from that. Um, but I, I, I think a lot of what you see when it comes to the rise of mental health things is a, there's a lot of isolation. And a large part of this isolation, I, I feel, comes from, it's, it's to, to a certain extent, self-imposed. Because we, we can do everything from our house, our homes. Need to pick something up at the store? You don't have to go to the store anymore. Just order it, Right. Want to catch up with somebody? Send them a Zoom link. And I want to, I, I, again, this is what I love about podcasts because everything is on a sliding scale and we can kind of open this up a little bit. I think we, we need, I think it's wonderful that we have these, these video chats and, and this, um, you know, way to be connected digitally and, and talk all the time and connect all the time. You, you come into contact with people you wouldn't have otherwise because of this technology. But we have to be able to work in face-to-face, in-person communication. You know, there's, there's something else that you hear. Um, and, and again, this is uh, blanket statements does not apply to everyone. But the, the, the skill set of actually being able to have an in-person conversation to connect with with somebody in a in an in you know from an in-person meeting like it's a skill that's that's diminished again it's dulled for many of us and for folks that have never had to that that never had to to grow up with the whole in-person communication thing and everything has been online i mean think about what everything's been over the last 20 years from technology and how fast all this has advanced and how we communicate so there, there are, there's generations now that have not even had to really do a lot of in-person communication outside of maybe a very structured setup with school. So like this is a, uh, this is a very, it, it's a unique skill set now. But I, I think we need to continue to work on it. We still need to be able to meet in person. Now that that can be everything. Like that can that, that can mean almost anything. Excuse me. That could mean, you know, that that could mean having coffee with your friends. Going out and having a meal. 
And see, this is where my hangup is where we talk about food within the weight loss stuff, fitness and weight loss, and, and having this uh, attributing food, this absolute value to food, of food being fuel and, and there's no emotion or experience around it. It's part of the human experience. Food is something we share. It connects us. Now, can you do the same thing through a workout? You can. Many people do. So, I mean, you can meet friends one-on-one. You can, um, you know, you, you can, can schedule some time with, with the person you're in a romantic relationship with. Hey. I think I'm going to do that now. If I ever bring up romantic relationship on a podcast, I'm just going to be like, hey. <laughs> I'm working on that, though. Not, not, not exactly sure how that's going to sound yet. So that's why the hey is going from hey to hey to I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Um, anyway, <laughs> I got to work on that. Um, but, you know, like to, to having group meetups, meeting, meeting, coming together as a group. That, that's one thing with your level of fitness. We're, we're going to be doing community meetups. We had the one at the Flying Pig back in 2019 now, four years ago. And then we were we were rocking and rolling and had things scheduled for um, round two of that. And I, I have to laugh about it, man, because like at that time, in 2019, when Gary Cantrell and I were putting that together, we had no idea. We had no idea um, what that was, what we were doing. <laughs> I did. But yeah, I mean, we had, uh, oh my gosh, we had like 30 people show up when you, when you count, I think it was more than that actually, uh, when you're talking about like significant others and families and stuff like that, it was super cool. Um, uh, but because of, again, like with the pandemic and everything that, that put that stuff to a halt, we were going to do the second year of it, but that's, that's one thing I've, I've wanted to bring back and you know, I, I'm, I'm getting things in a place with your level fitness, with the YLF community, with YLF 365, to where there's going to be more in-person stuff. More, There's going to be meetups. I'm actually putting together thoughts and ideas for things even bigger than meetups. A little Easter egg for those of you listening. Um, But yeah, I, I... the, the One of the biggest things with your level of fitness is I want this to be a very inclusive community, one, and movement, two. Because, one, the community aspect, fitness can be very isolating, especially in the time that we live in now. Again, with all of the tools, technologies, and the gadgets, it's very easy to just... Kind of be in your own little bubble and, and that be it. So we need to connect others and it's wonderful to connect digitally. We also need to um, connect in person. So that those, I, I, there's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at how this can possibly, when this can start happening again. Uh, and how it's going to happen. But I mean, when we're talking about meetups, when I think of something like at the Flying Pig, 
I'm thinking of, I, I, I want to put together a loose structure on how this is going to work um, to where we can have essentially like little pop-up meetups everywhere. And I don't really, well, I, I got some ideas that I'm putting together. Um, and then I'm, there's some things that I'm looking at that are going to go beyond meetups. So the, the meetups I want to have in different places. So meaning those are going to be like your regional connecting things. I would love to have coffee, have a meal, go for a walk, do some, you know, I guess yoga. I'm committing myself to something. I don't, I stretch. I don't really do yoga all that much. But I'd love to have that, like in, in small groups. So like a pop-up meetup. I, I love how now I'm starting to think out loud while I'm talking to you about this. Um, but there's the, I've got some plans for some bigger things too. And of course, I already have a name for that. I'm not sharing it yet. <laughs> but you know me. I just put YLF in front of something and it's mine. Hi. Um, <laughs> but, you know, getting uh, the in-person connection for the community is huge. So people don't feel isolated. Um, the other part, I, I mentioned the movement. How is this a movement? I really don't like how the weight loss, beauty, fitness, and, and all the other industries market against our insecurities. I want each and every one of us comfortable enough in our own skin to accept who we are, embrace who we are, love who we are. And then, oh, by the way, when that's the foundation of what we do, then go after all the other things. Eating nutrient-dense foods and, and you know taking care of your body through working out and recovery and stress management and all this stuff is really important. I just don't like how we're doing it as an aspirational thing to look a certain way in hopes that that's going to make us feel a certain way about ourselves. When in reality, if you don't have that structure underneath of accepting and loving who you are inside and out, and by the way, I don't care what your past was like. I don't care what you like you... You're here now, right? You still have the opportunity to do whatever it is you're going to do. But in order for us to fundamentally change what, what people focus on when it comes to these things that they're doing, taking on multi-billion dollar industries, right? It's a movement. And we come together through connection. So the in-person meetup, it's, it's, it's wonderful for the community because, again, I want all of us interacting in person. I want us meeting up. I want us hanging out. I want us taking pictures together. Don't necessarily have to post them on social media, by the way. That's a whole other podcast topic, right? <laughs> But I want us together for us as individuals. And then for the second part, yes, that this is a movement, that this takes shape when we connect probably at first digitally is how most of that happens for us because we got people all over the world, right? 
but continuing to push out this message. That we're doing the workouts that we're doing, that we're following the eating plan that we're, eat, that we're eating, that we're, we're doing all of these things. But underneath everything, we love who we are inside and out. We appreciate our body for what it is. And I will tell you guys again, I have worked with, I've done one-on-one coaching for, with over 75 people. 80 is the actual number, but you know, over 75, right? Uh, to this point, and I'm, I'm getting back into, into, into doing some coaching. And I can tell you, everybody's body is different. You got four people that are the same height, roughly the same weight, their body composition is going to be different. I will tell you, like, with the way my build is, it's, it's kind of funny. Like, my lower half, I look like a distance runner. Very, like, lean, not, nothing, no extra, like, just, you know, just very lean, very strong, very muscular. And up top, I'm built like a linebacker. <laughs> my torso is long, thick. That's right. I just... Uh, I've got a thick torso. I just said that on a podcast. I've never said that before. Ah, good times. Um, but anyway, my body's different than somebody else that has the same build that I do. So everybody is different. But we got to embrace who we are inside and out. And connection is very important because... It's very easy to stay isolated, but that just, it's not, it's not helpful for anyone. And ultimately us as individuals, it's not helpful for us. You know, and and all these things that we do are designed for connection. Hop into the YLF community, jump on Instagram, search the hashtag, connect with people. Take part in YLF 365. It's an individual challenge, but it's something you can do together. And you know what? Actually, as we talk about this, I need to really be at the forefront of pushing that out there. I include my calendar when I post my, uh, my fitness vlogs, but I need to be pushing this. Because if I'm not pushing it, what the heck can I like expect you guys to do it for, right? I mean, this has kind of been an, an involved strategy because at first I, I did want this to be something that can, it, and it can still be done without social media. But again, this is something, this is a chance for people to come together by doing this one thing together over the course of a year. So if you're interested, go to yourlevelfitness.com slash YLF365. You can get all the details on it. You can opt, you know, you, you can go ahead and opt into the challenge. Um, so we got the community, we got the challenge. There's, there's ways for us to connect. But again, connect digitally and do things in person. So we've covered a lot in this particular podcast episode. Gave you some teasers, some inadvertent teasers as far as, well, partially inadvertent, <laughs> um, as far as, as some in-person things that I'm thinking about working on, 
that I'm thinking about, comma, <laughs> working on. Um, so yeah, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff going on. So I want to hear your, your feedback on any and all things. So in order to do that, you need to head over to yourlevelfitness.com. You scroll down to the bottom of the page. You can get in touch with me any way that you want. You can email me, text me, hit me up on social media, whatever's easiest for you. Thank you as always for listening, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.